0: It's time for Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games podcast.
1: Welcome to Lost Cast, episode one ninety eight. I'm Matt Hackett, and I'm Jeff Blair. Announcements, Are you ready? I was born ready. You're born ready. Uh, indie Game Sim, the launch date announcement. I put that out today. So if you're on the Twitterers, if you're on the Facebooks, I'll put link. Links to that stuff in the show notes. I really need help spreading the word, so uh, retweet it if you can, and I would appreciate it. I'm going to launch it on December 8th, as I told our secret friends last week. That's on my birthday. That's a month from today. Pretty excited. Um, It's on Steam now, too. Steam approved of the store page just this morning. Oh, nice. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, and uh, that means that you can add it to your wish list. You can follow it. You can start to help out by increasing those hooks,
0: those social hooks in Steam? You could troll it with negative comments. Ah, no. <laughs> Never. Uh,
1: let's see, what else? Oh, I gave out uh, free copies to everybody on Patreon. I didn't and get those free are, copy. Are you on Patreon? N- I don't know. That's what I thought. Uh, these are Humble Keys, so they come with a DRM free copy, and then there's also a Steam key in there. And if you didn't get one, if you're on Patreon, then let me know and I will fix that. And then, last but not least, on the indie game sim front, uh, I'm looking for testers, and I'm not going to go to Patreon this time or the forums. I'm going to go straight to the podcast, because these are people who really listen, really care. At least that's the hope. And what I need is, like, some deep testing. I don't need so much at this stage, like the, you know, kind of half an hour, take a look at it kind of thing. I need, like, maybe you could play it for several hours. I know that's a lot to ask. What are you I'll put offering your, in return? I'll put your name in the credits. <laughs> I'll give you a high five if we meet. If oh, not, I'll, I'll mail you my hand and you can slap it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I just really need testing because especially this last weekend, I added uh, a final boss. And it's very comprehensive and it touches all kinds of areas of the code. I was hoping, because I was saying earlier that um, Indie Game Sim's code base is nice and Separated, right it's kind of siloed off where if I do something over here, it doesn't really affect other parts of the game, right yeah that's true for the vast majority of features in the game, but not the final boss. The final boss touches like a handful of scenes and it has the potential to really <laughs> screw some stuff up, so that's what I need is is people playing it, getting it to the end, and making sure it doesn't break. I have two so. things
0: two Ooh. one I'm sure it'll be fine. you should just ship it <laughs> of course. <laughs> Number no <two>. bugs. <laughs> why what is it about the final boss design that makes it have hooks in so many parts of the code? Like, well I guess <laughs> it's it's the design itself. It's it's like a comprehensive final exam.
1: And it does lots of tricks kind of. I see. Messing with content and sh- and sending you around from scene to scene kind of. Huh. It's a little weird. Um I think I don't want to talk about it in the podcast because I want to reward people. I don't know. I just kind of want to, I want there to be secrets that people oh, haven't yeah, that discovered yet. You know? Yeah.
0: I just thought there might be an interesting discussion around the architecting of the boss. Yeah. Maybe the, I should talk about hooks. it. I don't know. What do you think? Should we discuss the final boss? No. Maybe. Should leave it a secret? Maybe after it comes out and people have had a chance to see it, then we can talk about why it's so crazy or something. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you about it after. I don't, I don't want to know. You, to, you you will play it. Come on. As soon as we're done podcasting, I'm hanging <laughs> up, and we're not talking until Tuesday.
1: <laughs> I ping you. It's like Thursday. I'm like, hey man, what's up? And you're like, Tuesday. Save it. <laughs> save it, it, <laughs> it till Tuesday. Save
0: it Tuesday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. How is the Steam build coming? Done. Thanks to you, sir.
0: Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah.
1: You helped me out like with that like last week. and uh, Cloud save. Yep. All done. Um. Not cloud save yet. No. Oh. But um, I don't think it'll be a problem because you got it working in Soul Thief.
0: Yeah. So. The so i can just there.
1: copy paste and, and if you can't
0: get it working then that means you're worse than me oh crap <laughs> see <laughs> it's
1: great because i can take all this work already done in gin and already done in soul thief and i can copy paste it and put an in indie game sim and be like bam mine now i made that <laughs> i made <laughs> that game you didn't build all that. me <laughs> my uh, name's it's all
0: over it so topical because elections <laughs>
1: If you want to test it, send me an email directly, matt at lostdecadegames.com. And I hope some of you do. And I will send you bills of the game and then please test it and let me know how it went. And uh, maybe you'll get near the end. I don't know how long the game is right now, actually. And that's an important thing to know, right? (laughs) Yes. uh, Yeah. Because I mean, I I speed run through it sometimes just to kind of test stuff out. And I can do it relatively quickly, but it takes, I would say, at least half an hour at this point to to do it as fast as I can, which I think.
0: Is a good sign, right? Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Game length is one of those things that's sort of subjective.
1: Yeah, and like I had to put a dollar value. Like the game's going to be eight bucks. It just kind of felt right, you know? Yeah. Five bucks felt like too cheap, you know, underselling
0: myself somewhere. And it's coming out on December 8th. Yeah, eight, Yep. Eight, eight bucks.
1: Yeah, exactly. Eight's my lucky number, so I went with my guts to eight bucks. And there also, uh, I should say this too I'm pre ordering. Um, offering pre-orders on Humble. And you get 25% off if you buy it there. So it's $6. bucks. i will put a link to that, actually, in the show notes, too. I don't know about pre-orders. I just kind of turned that on because Humble does it.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh But what about, does there be a launch discount as well?
1: Yeah, 10%. I see. So
0: you'll save 80 cents, which, hey,
1: adds up. That's, that's right. like That's like we all get paid per copy that's sold. So, excellent.
0: Right. Well, I am counting down the days till December 8th, sir.
1: Yay, there's 30. <laughs> I'm excited. I've got thirty days to make the launch go better than uh, You know what nothing. you
0: need. You need an IGS advent calendar. Mm. Oh, you're right. Like a little uh I don't know. Like uh, you oh. can make like a little HTML five web app, right? Where you have like uh just, you know, little boxes for every day and then just push an update every day that opens one to reveal something from the game or something. Ooh, I like it. And then you could tweet about it every day. Mm, I could do that in uh gin relatively easily. You actually could. I would that seems like a little bit of heavy. J Gin seems a little heavy for something like that, but But I love Jen. Well yes, but it's the greatest tool ever made. It's like except for maybe, maybe the hammer. It's like getting a jackhammer to weed your garden or something. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> sounds pretty epic. Yes. I like that. Or like uh, a fire hose to wash your pet. <laughs> Man, Koopa would hate <laughs> Just, that. Don't. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. Your cats wouldn't like that either. No. Well, first of all, they would be like splattered against the wall probably. <laughs> Do you bathe your cats? Uh, occasionally. Nice. That's good. Sometimes when they, they don't bother bathing themselves. Yeah. They're like, it, I can't reach. <laughs> it, de- it depends on the cat. I don't bathe Nephthys because, one, uh, I value my appendages. <laughs> She'll tear you up. She'll yeah, she'll rip me apart. We oh, don't yeah. cut her nails either for that reason. Like she's Oh jeez. She's not a cat that you can hold. She doesn't want to be manipulated. No. Like she yeah. will sit on your lap and she will receive petting as long as she is in full <laughs> control of her Yeah. Uh you know <laughs> Yeah. A very arms. particular cat. Yes. So Yeah, like, mojito is kinda like that. <clears throat> none none of the uh handling happens. Yeah. Like when we have to move it is a travesty. <laughs>
1: You have to uh, like shoot her with a like a net gun, pretty much a tranquilizer dart.
0: I have to like corner her in a in a portion of the house, and like she knows it's coming, so she's like all unhappy and yowling. You got to wear a bear suit. I have to get like a a big beach towel. Yeah, and beach I just towel. like throw the beach towel over her and like roll her up in it, and I have like this bundle of angry cat.
1: <laughs> I just pictured you in the in the gladiator outfit, the one where you've got the the left arm is covered with metal right in the right in the right arm, you've got the net, yeah, you've got like a little shield, you know
0: what I mean, it's pretty close, <laughs> and uh every time, every single time this happens, she craps as like what, yeah, like when I jump on her and grab her in the blanket or whatever, like she just she craps <laughs> without fail <laughs> why I the, don't the trigger so scared, I don't know, <clears throat> it's hilarious though.
1: <laughs> she craps her
0: pants if she was wearing pants She craps her fur i guess it's oh, hilarious it is pretty funny <laughs> i mean it's not so funny for the cat i'm sure but or for you with the cleanup. no i mean it's like a funny story oh, afterwards man. but like it is a pretty stressful event to like like all right gotta prepare to catch the cat here we go <laughs> I feel like cats are pretty good territory for even a
1: Game dev podcast because I know so many, for some reason, I don't know why, so many programmers especially are attracted to cats and have cats, you know?
0: Yeah. They're great uh, anti-social pets.
1: <laughs> they're good for us introverts, right? Yes. Well, they're kind of introverts
0: themselves, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> they're very particular.
0: Yeah. yeah. They're persnickety.
1: So uh, when I was pimping my own stuff, into GameSim, I don't want to be that selfish. Uh, our listeners make cool stuff, too, and they've been telling me about it recently, so I wanted to give shout-outs to some of the cool stuff you guys are working on. Check out Packet Sender from Dan Nagel. Super cool open source project. Check out Melon.js by Aaron McLeod. Um, also an open source HTML5 game engine, kind of like we've talked about uh, in last episode, Phaser. So check out Mel and Jess. I'll put links to this stuff, of course, in the uh, show notes. So be sure to give it a click. And then, last but not least, uh, we've got Rob, who's got his own podcast called Lean Into Art, also on Patreon. Check that out. Very cool. Lean Into Art. Links to all this stuff. So go, go, clickety click. Check it out.
0: I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other people doing cool stuff that listen to Lost Cast that we forgot to mention as well.
1: Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, and I will continue to take notes on that stuff. Just feel free to ping me, you know, on Twitter or uh, Discord. I'm happy to talk about your guys's stuff. That's one of my favorite things about our audience. Honestly, is they f- they feel very much like us, and that they like making stuff, you know. And they usually do it with cool technology, and it's programmerish and artish and all the good stuff, man.
0: Yeah, uh, I wish I had more time to evaluate a lot of stuff, like. <laughs> I, you know, obviously we've been hearing about JS for a long time, but I've never like sat down and, you know, spent a day with it like I have with some other stuff. And it makes me sad. I wish I, man,
1: I was thinking about, um, you ever see these people who they'll have like a pretty popular blog or maybe even kind of a minor YouTube channel. And what they do is just review stuff, right? Um, a friend of ours was dating this guy who was really into whiskey and he had like a really popular whiskey blog and he would just get sent free whiskey and huh. he would drink it and he'd write about it and he'd have pictures of it and photograph it, you know, really, really well. And there's other people who, uh, what was somebody else? Oh, Wacom tablets. There's this dude I follow on Twitter. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, Frendan, a uh, really good artist. And also um, basically if you've played Soul Thief, you've seen Frendan's brushes in action, because i've used nothing but his brushes uh and all of soul thief huh. and um <clears throat> he reviews tablets, and i don 't know if you get some free or or whatever, but like doesn't that sound awesome and man, just imagine that like what if you know we we've got kind of a game dev platform here, right, but what if our audience was like ten or hundred times bigger and we could get like you know oh here's a you know the unity package where you can download all the skins and stuff, and you could like take a week make something Unity, you, you know, evaluate that, or, like, um you just see any other gamemage, you know? Just, like, take a week, experiment in something, write, like, a full comprehensive report on it, maybe back it up with a YouTube video. I don't know. That's a big tangent, I know, but, like, doesn't that sound great? You could just look at tools, kick them around, make something with them, and then talk about the good parts and the bad parts.
0: Yeah, it does sound like a lot of fun. Um Just time, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would need to be your job if
1: somehow, you know, like, you know, if you had a good Patreon or... Um, You could back it up with good YouTube videos or something. You could pay for that time somehow. That sounds amazing. That sounds like a dream job. Yeah.
0: Or some people kind of do that stuff as a hobby too, you know? They might just, you know, I do X during the day and then Y, I have, you know, my hobbies, whatever it is, art or games or something. Yeah. And I like to review things. I like it. Yes. So,
1: uh, question from Andre again. Thanks for all these great questions. Keep them coming. There's two lined up. One about horror games and finding your niche, and then another about music. So, we're going to jump into the horror question first. Um, So, basically, what this one boils down to is horror games seem like a pretty good bet for indie game developers because you can make something pretty cool, pretty scary, pretty atmospheric, and uh, with a relatively cheap budget, you know? And horror games, a lot of times, have the potential to go viral because they're really popular with YouTubers and streamers. Uh, but it's, like, not necessarily for everybody, right? Like, for me, for example, I'm sure I've talked about it in the podcast before, but I'm kind of a weenie. I'm not really into horror games. When I was maybe, like, late 20s or something, I realized, like, oh, I'm an adult now. I can stop watching horror movies because they always freak me out for, like, days or weeks at a time, you know? I don't enjoy... I used to love horror movies, and there's still some that I really like, you know, and I still watch them occasionally just because some of them are just really good. But like the whole thing of, you know, oh, I'm going to watch Saw 1 through 7, like torture porn kind of stuff. Not for me, <laughs> you know, yes. and games. It's worse, right? Because with the movie, I can look away and the movie just keeps on chugging. But like, <clears throat> I don't know if I told it. I'm sure I told this story before, but bear with me here. It's quick. I was playing um, Dead Space because my brother worked on it. And normally I wouldn't play a horror game like that. But Andrea's is hanging out with me now the lights are off and i'm ugh, it's a creepy game right and i was coming into this room and it, like the door opens and you can yeah, you're supposed to walk in there there's a bunch of open space and i was going like ree 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 ree. i'd go like through the door and then back up through the door and back up because i know how games work as a trigger right mm-hmm. i'm going to step on an invisible little polygon and it's going to be like ah ha ha spawn the monsters on his face right and andrea was like go in move like go forward right so I was like, no, no, the monster's going to get me. So I was going back and forth. And then, of course, one jumped me from behind. I thought I was so prepared. I thought I had this, right? <laughs> nope. nope. Blah, monster attack from the back. You are never prepared. Me. Yeah, I did not finish that game. I did not enjoy playing the little bit that I did. Wow. So
0: anyway, horror games, uh, not for me. Are they for you? Do you play them? Um, not really. I think the last time I really enjoyed a horror game was the original Resident Evil. Wow. That's a long time ago. <laughs>
1: I played uh Four actually and I really enjoyed it. I got near the end too. And it wasn't too scary for me. It was just a part that I was too sucky to finish and I kind of lost interest. Mm. Really good
0: game though. I was surprised. I think the, you know, horror movies really haven't ever been my cup of tea either just because yeah. um I don't know, like the jump scare thing kind of gets old and like I don't know, I you know I'm, it's coming. I feel like I I've, I've been desensitized <laughs> to gross things. You know, like I grew up as a kid watching scary-ish movies like my dad was really into sci-fi so i watched like aliens and that kind of thing and like while those aren't really horror i mean i guess they're kind of horror movies but like i don't really feel like uh horror movies offer me anything anymore not because i dislike them necessarily but because you know uh i'm more interested in like psychological thrillers or something
1: Like a laugh, you will benefit from. You'll enjoy a good laugh, right? If a comedy can give you five or six good laughs, but a horror movie gives you five or six good jump scares slash like spine tingling, like ooh, like if that does it for you, that's great. But I don't really get that. I just get this feeling of ah, it looks gross or ugh, creepy. Now when I go to the bathroom at night or something, I'm gonna be like looking around, like maybe there's a creepy girl coming out of the toilet. Right. Or something, you know, it just <laughs> invades my brain. Whereas if I watch a comedy, i would be taking a shower and just like giggling to myself. <laughs> Funny. It has a positive impact. You know, I only want my entertainment to have like a positive impact on me. I don't know.
0: Right. I know some people
1: really dig being afraid, right? They they like seeing the gore.
0: Yeah, I think it's tough though, just you know, gore we see gore so often in media, right? Yeah. Like you see it in the real news, you see it in video games, you see it in movies, like There's, you know, almost nothing scary about gore anymore. Or at least not that it's not scary, but that it's, you know, it's... You're desensitized. Yeah, it's so all over the place that it's hard to, like, have a strong reaction to, oh, there's a severed limb. Yeah, (laughs) like, all right. Oh, my God. You know what really bugs me? Every time I see gore, I can't
1: help but think to myself, um, like, the, the conflict between, like, nudity... And and gore, you know, like you can't show a woman's breasts, for example, right? But you could show her guts, right?
0: Yeah. No, it's, I don't. I don't understand why one is okay and the other is not in certain contexts. Uh, it's tough, you know. I think it's just, you know, it, it's kind of well known that the U.S. has a much more conservative attitude towards sexualization than violence, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but it is it is a weird double standard. Yeah. But I've always heard, and maybe this isn't true. Maybe our uh, listeners across the pond can correct me, but I've always heard that, like, you know, the UK and European attitude towards that kind of stuff was a lot more relaxed than the US.
1: Yeah, I hope so. It's kind of garbage over here. <laughs> garbage. <laughs> kind of garbage. Yes. So, Anyways,
0: but, uh, you know, I, I think that the question was kind of using the horror genre as an example. Yeah. Um. But I think the larger question was around, you know, finding your niche as a game developer and, like, serving some kind of small market, like, the jump scare horror market
1: for sure so we've got spider web software which we talk about a lot and that would be you know old school isometric story-based rpgs that's as niche right right works great for them and then um was it big giant games super giant which one made um bastion super giant i think and it seems like that's their cup of tea if you like games like that
0: you will like the games that they make pretty smart and even like sort of Slightly more diverse is like someone like Klifsky who's making games like they're all strategy games, right? Though like, like simulator strategy. Right. Like gratuitous space battles. Yeah. Um uh, democracy. He's working on another like kind of factory inspired game right now. But they're all like, you know, largely simulators of one right. kind or another. Um, I think there's a lot of value in that. We've talked about this off and on, I think. Um and it definitely seems like a good way to be successful, especially as an independent developer, um, and to build on the fan base that you already have, right? I think that a lot of it kind of comes down to brand building, right? And that's something that we've talked about a little bit over the course of the last time period. Um but it's something that kind of dawns on us, I think, more and more every day that we talk about it is that a lot of the marketing and a lot of the stuff that goes into promoting your game comes down to building your brand. And building mm-hmm. your following and then at that point right it's not like build it and they will come right necessarily sometimes but i mean that's i think that's more of like the pie in the sky that's naive it's naive yeah and like to, it's not to say that it doesn't ever work out but um, if it does it's it's luck seriously yeah probably yeah uh, whereas you know it seems like it's a lot more of a sure path if you're you know, building an audience, essentially building your own personal brand, right? Like it'd be like, you know, Matt, the artist has a following on Tumblr. And then, you know, he transitions that into tutorials and videos. And then eventually like he makes a game and people buy it because they know like, Oh, this game has art by Matt. And he has this great history of blah, blah, blah. You know, Mm. it's kind of like, you know, when you see like, it really scares me when people like uh, Northern Lion and stuff are like tweeting about programming and stuff. (laughs) The, <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I think it's it's awesome, right? But it's like, <laughs> that is the way to go, right? Like, oh, you built this huge audience that, you know, really is invested in you as a person, right? Like, they don't care yeah. necessarily about the games. Like, they could watch f- a thousand different people playing Isaac at any point in time, but, yeah. you know, he's built his own community and uh, people like him for his personality or whatever. Uh, and then you could, then, you know, you take that audience, you're like, I have this audience. Like, how can I monetize them even further? That always terrifies me. You'll
1: see yeah, some YouTuber and they're like, I'm learning Game Maker. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> We're
0: screwed. I, <laughs> yeah,
1: I can't compete with that. And then they could design the kind of game that they can play every day, like an evergreen game, right? And then they just play that all the time. And they're like, hey, guys, buy my game. Everything that I do promotes my own game. I just I make all my own money. I don't need other developers. All their games, goodbye.
0: I mean, and obviously, like, you know, there's some give and take, right? Like, I'm yeah. sure that if he... If Northern Lion went too blatantly in that direction, then you know his fan base would probably be turned off. But I think there's a lot to be said for audience building first and then transitioning that into a product versus the, the reverse. Should mention, Yogg's Cast kind
1: of tried to do that and it blew up in spectacular fashion, right? I'm True. sure we podcasted about this, but long story short, uh, Yogg's Cast is a really popular YouTube channel and they made a game. It was on Kickstarter. It made like a quarter million, I want to say, on Kickstarter. Um, some level of success, for sure. And it was promising, you know, like Minecraft-level type of content. And a platform like that, right? Like something they could play every day really easily like Minecraft. And uh, didn't get made and kind of, yeah, kind of blew up in their faces.
0: I think, though, that that is not a... It's not a judgment against the process of audience building and then monetization. Sure. I think it's just that, you know, in any circumstance, the execution still matters a lot. Yeah. And uh, like who you choose to develop your game with. And and even the 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 kind of game you choose to develop, you know, it could have just been something where they were like didn't have the technical know how to get whatever it is they were trying to get done done.
1: Yeah. I remember I was at a bar uh with some of my wife's friends and there was this dude I was just chatting with and I found out that um he makes his own game. So obviously I'm like, yay, it's my favorite topic to talk about <laughs> And he was in an interesting scenario because he had a full-time gig as a game designer and then he was learning Unity on the side just enough to make mobile games and designing them. And that was, uh, I thought, a really good idea. He also had a really famous YouTuber buddy that lived in L.A. that he went to high school with or something. And in my head, I hear YouTuber and I'm like, holy crap, you've got a gaming YouTuber who can play your game and put it in front of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Like, you're set. That's all you need. You know how to make games, you know how to design them, you know how to promote them, you're done. Uh, But the YouTuber was actually more of the YouTube style where like, I'm just going to talk to the camera about my life Mm. for a couple of hours or, or, you know, Um, it was like making, you know, like producing shows and stuff, that kind of a thing. And the gaming part was more of like a barely once in a while, just because everybody on YouTube does it kind of thing. Right. (laughs) I thought that was interesting. Uh, But what he'd said was um, that he made a game uh, like branded for that YouTube YouTuber. I can't remember these names. What's wrong with my brain? Uh but that did okay. Where because people were like, oh yeah, I love this YouTuber. I would play a game as that YouTuber, and there was a game that
0: did that, and so the game did pretty good. It's like, you know, I think there's at least a couple games about PewDiePie. Oh, there's gotta be,
1: yeah. Man, money just (laughs) follows that dude around. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh that's more of the like promoting it and stuff. So so finding your niche, like in our case, horror games aren't it, right? But finding your niche makes a lot of sense and trying to just throw this huge net where you want to, you know, the world's most accessible game. It's something for everybody. That's hard. There's going to be a lot of holes in that net, right? You can throw a smaller, more targeted net and catch more people who are really into, you know, like turn-based strategy games or whatever your thing happens to be. And as you were kind of alluding to earlier, it does seem like that's one of the reasons that our games have had a hard time kind of building momentum and gaining traction is because um, sometimes we will build you know, like, okay, here's a turn-based RPG. Here's a here's a turn-based puzzle game. Now here's a, uh, you know, real-time overhead roguelike. Now here's a side-scrolling platformer simulation. It's kind of all over the place, right? Yeah. So it's hard to latch onto that niche. And for people to be like, oh, man, everything LDG makes, I always like. It's, it's harder to do that
0: because our games are kind of all over the place. And I feel like, you know, mastery of anything takes time and really careful consideration. And honestly, being exposed to the flaws or whatever in your designs kind of firsthand over and over and over again. Yeah. And uh, I think that, you know, the way that we've approached doing kind of a variety of games um, hasn't allowed us to get as deep into any given genre as we would need in order to really master that genre, right? Right. And, uh, <clears throat> and a lot of the games that we made, like, weren't necessarily games that we were playing at that point in time, you know, or that we had really had, like, a history of playing. like Lunchbug? A Lunchbug for example, yeah, or, uh, or even a Wizard's Lizard, you know, like I think that the way that game came about was very convoluted and it has yeah. aspects of games that we like to play, but um you know, you and I weren't big Isaac players and we haven't, you know, I haven't actually played a lot of those kind of top-down arena RPG roguelikes lately. Forever. We
1: were saying Gauntlet and Zelda, but we
0: were making closer to Smash TV. Right, and, like, Smash TV is a game that I have fond memories of, but you you don't actually continue to play it over the years. Or games that are that close to it, right? Like, it's, you know, it's definitely not, like, if if I had to say, like, what would be a good genre for us to to focus on, that would probably not be it, I guess. Yeah. is what I'm saying. (laughs) Right. So, I guess, like, you know, how do you find your niche? How do you exploit a niche? And I don't know. Like, I think that there's a lot of things you have to think about when it comes to, like marketing these kinds of products. Yeah. Um, but I think it has to be in order for it to be successful. It has to be a genre that you are like, just absolutely in love with probably, you know, something that you have hundreds of hours of experience in and you have your heads are just teeming with ideas about how it could be different or better. You know, that seems like the ideal scenario. Yeah, it does. Rather than like, oh, going to make a game like blah because yeah it seems popular let's do it yeah so we've had these kind of guides
1: on how to pick what to work on there was that one from Derek U where it was three things it was something like stuff you're good at making stuff you want to make and stuff you want to have made right mm-hmm. when you look for uh, niches I think it's should be something more along the lines of like uh, for one maybe a market hole or like an opportunity right you know if you're Like right now, it'd be a horrible time to launch a pixelated side-scrolling platform. (laughs) (laughs) Because you go up against a lot of competition like Owlboy, right? Um, Or if you wanted to make like a, you know, you want to make a Call of Duty competitor. That's rough. Look for an opportunity in the market, right? Um, And it should be something you really want to make. Like you were saying, you know, something you're passionate about, something you're really into. Here's an important one too, though. Something you're good at making right? That's a really important one because, you know, for me, I might be most compelled to make like a first person dungeon crawler. That sounds really great to me, but I'm not good at making that. I'm not a very good 3D person. Um, Even though I really enjoy raycasting for some reason, I really should not make that game in 2D. You know, it should be a 3D game. So as much as I might want to do that, and if I, even if I saw a market hole, I sh- still, I, sh- I shouldn't walk that path because I'm not good at making that game. I don't have a track record of it and I I know going into it that I would that would be really slow finishing that game.
0: And how many have you played? How many hours have you spent playing that genre?
1: Well, a ton, but this is something else that's kind of important too. That was mostly probably over a decade ago, maybe two at this point, right? Because most of my experience, like probably hundreds of hours playing for, like a uh, first person dungeon crawlers. Shining of the Darkness, Arcana, Eye of the Beholder, Bard's Tale. Like That's just tip of the iceberg, right? Uh, but it's it's been years, so it's not fresh on my mind and I'm not modern these days. You know, like I haven't kept up. I don't know what people expect out of a game like that anymore because the games that
0: I'm most familiar with are decades old. Yeah. And it's hard because like one of the only recent successes that we can look to in that genre has been Legend of Grimrock.
1: Ooh, Grimrock, yeah.
0: Which, you know, I think we've talked about before is like yeah, when we look at that, it kind of says that the trend in that genre is like Really, really nice graphics, you know, well-thought-out puzzles, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, it's a... It, there are points that aren't, aren't strong points, right? Right. Right. <laughs> like, Delicately. <laughs> Our games don't look the best ever. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, we certainly
1: couldn't compete with Grimrock, right? Like, no. you look at a screenshot of that game, and the screenshots are amazing. And then when you see it animated in action, it doesn't lose anything. It still looks great, Right. Like that was one of the the key selling points in that game. And stuff like uh, Darkest Dungeon. One of the reasons that game has now sold over a million copies is because it looks gorgeous. Right. And, and our yeah. games don't necessarily have that.
0: Uh I think they look good in their own. I mean they're a lot closer to Darkest Dungeon than uh Grimrock. I mean they're just different visual styles, sure. even though they both look good. Yeah. Which isn't to say that our games can't look good, but I think when you're talking about like uh a first person dungeon crawler specifically um i think that you know it's difficult to do it in 2d and have it be as effective definitely yeah and i think that that's uh, the kind of thing that
1: you know developers should go with you know like let's say you're an artist and you're getting into game development you know use like use your art style make something that you're really good at making that's going to look like your art and, and be really pretty and don't like don't lean into the programming part of it right if you have an artist background like just do the bare minimum to engineer it together
0: and then just put your art like front and center i think uh one of the hard parts with the dungeon crawling first person dungeon crawler is that you know the technology we have these days allows for a much greater freedom of movement mhm you know and even though like something like grimrock is sort of like on rails essentially where you are moving grid by grid you know, you can still look around, like you have freedom of, of camera movement a little bit more and like the environment itself isn't just like these, you know, flat sprites that are being skewed. Yeah. So I think that like that, the technology, the fact that the technology allows for a greater degree of freedom kind of makes some of these older techniques a lot less attractive, even though there might spill, uh, still be some nostalgia there. Yeah, for
1: sure. I think that basically it's really hard to find your niche because of all these variables, right? I think it's something that almost, as we're defining it, requires some experience and some time commitment, you know, because finding out what you're good at making could take some doing. You know, like I I still don't know if I've found the kind of game that I'm good at making, you know, like I might report back in 10 years and be like, oh man, now that I'm into 3D, this is what I should have been doing all along. That's no reason I was moving so slow in 2D, like who knows, right? Yeah. So I think that that's, that takes a lot of work. Another one is you know, depending on how you're going about it, if it's just a passion project or just a hobby, that's cool. But if you want to make money with your game, if you want to find that niche, then like you do need to do some market research. In which case, it's looking at sales, it's looking at competing games, it's looking at, you know, what was what was really popular 20 uh, years ago that hasn't been remade yet, that kind of stuff. You know like what what would do really well on Steam. And this is the hard part too. You know, it's an easier thing to be like, what would do okay on Steam if it launched today, right? But realistically, let's say your game is going to take you a year to make, what's going to do well on Steam in a year? That's extremely hard to answer, right?
0: Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, it's one of those decisions that, as we talked about before, kind of like sits on the fence between creativity and marketability. Yeah um and and kind of how you view your game career um sheds a lot of light on how you should approach that particular topic right yeah um because i think there is something to be said for the idea that like you know someone might say i really like you know harvest moon and i'm gonna spend five years making harvest moon 2016 or whatever <laughs> that's what they should have called sardew valley <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh And then like you kind of launch it and like, you know, I mean, maybe I'm glossing over some of the details here, but like it didn't seem like um, that was the result of like building up, you know, around the niche. I mean, maybe it was like off in the weeds, you know, people are talking about this game and then it just happened to be really popular. But, um, you know, it kind of seems like that was more of a labor of a love and definitely like kind of seeing like there is a gap in the market. But I don't know how much of that came from just like a pure business analysis. Um, right but then the other side of the the coin right is that you do go to steam and you figure out like what is the you know what are the crowded markets what are the not crowded markets et cetera, et cetera. yeah and there's a lot of people doing that now so those market holes are uh, going to be harder to find moving forward yeah i mean because because as competition on steam rises right like everybody who's serious about being you know in the marketing business world related to steam like Kind of owes it to themselves to be finding and plugging those holes, which makes That's it true. even harder for, you know, bedroom developers like you and I. Hey, I've got developers. my own
1: room now. <laughs> There's a desk here and everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at you live in it's the high Very, very legit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a desk and everything. <laughs> yeah. So finding your niche, very mm-hmm. hard, very long winded answer. But uh I think it's possible, you know, I, I think that honestly, a lot of it's just like, network and community building in a lot of ways which is things that we're not that good at either yeah that's true but you know i don't know I, I feel like we could still find something that would be our niche i don't know what it is quite yet i, I feel like retro games isn't enough right? no it's not and then, like pixelated games isn't enough like no it's not enough to just say oh you know games like that they used to make you know back in the golden age quote unquote of of gaming or whatever like that's not, as we know, a defined enough vision. Like, no. It needs to be pretty narrow, right? Yeah. And, and even if the, the kinds of games you can launch can seem broad, again, like the Kleski example, uh, I feel like his games kind of share this core common DNA of, like, I like to fiddle with numbers, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's great. Like, that's a good starting place, right? Because that's the core mechanic is, like, look at these numbers make some decisions, see these numbers go up, see these other numbers go down. You know, And sometimes that's how much damage is my spaceship doing, and sometimes that's what do the people think about my newly enacted tax policy. Yeah.
1: How I many pills am I selling to people? How many pills am I selling to people, yeah. <laughs> which tank blew up which other tank? <laughs> yeah. I think it's pretty smart. I think simulation games are relatively easy to make in the grand spectrum of <laughs> difficulty to make stuff.
0: I don't know. I mean, I think... I, I think every niche has the hard parts and easy parts, right? Like the numbers, like balancing a simulation game like that sounds scary. Like oh, we talked about making, and we started prototyping some simulation games. Mm, that's true. And uh, we actually got pretty far along. And like, it's one of those things where I think it's deceptively easy, right? Because mm. it, it's, it's pretty easy to get something happening where you're like, hey, look at all this great automation that's happening. Like these simulation things are just going to town and doing their thing. But like when you start thinking down the end game of that path, you're like, okay, you know, what are the problems gonna be, right? It's gonna be like exploiting the currency, balancing how much things cost, you know, not having a single thing that, you know, upends the balance of the game in one way or the other. It's kinda like uh like a PvP game, right? Like hmm. every time you change any little thing in Hots, like it has these <sighs> you know <laughs> waves of repercussions that it's true you may not feel directly right away and i think that simulation games share a lot of those dangers they will have a patch
1: update and hots, so they'll be like anubrax health regeneration goes from 3 per second to 3.22 per second yeah like this tiny little nudge right and you will see his numbers change where his win rate goes up like 3% right which is pretty substantial you know, and that's that's kind of crazy. It is uh, when you, especially when you get near the end
0: game, there's uh, like the numbers matter so much, and they can really you know destroy your game. Um. Anyways, yeah, I think that that simulation games from a numbers perspective sort of scare me from a balance standpoint. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really hard though, especially because of the fact that, you know, in a game like a Wizard's Lizard, um, I know that we haven't done a super great job of balancing all the stuff. But I feel like because it's sort of a dexterity-based game, like we get a little bit of a pass, you know. Like if like okay, this boss is this boss's health is a little too high. It's like uh, that doesn't matter as much as if it were a turn-based strategy game, and the boss just can't win. Yeah, like you're like okay, I just I can't beat this guy unless I get you know crit 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 in a row. Right. Yeah. Whereas you know, in a game like Wizard's Lizard, like you might be able to dodge a little bit better and get that last you know, 10% of health down that right. you needed, or whatever.
1: So Indie Game Sim, as is in the title, is a simulation game, and I am kind of nervous about the end game. I know everything feels pretty good near the beginning-ish, and the middle of the game, when you're just kind of buying stuff or unlocking stuff a lot and making money, I, I think it's okay. But the thing is, too, is that how you do in the game depends on the games that you're making and how they perform in the market, right? right. And what you make varies so wildly from one person to another or some some people might just be making games that are doing spectacularly well and they have a great time or maybe they have a lousy time because they're like i got too much money i just i breezed through the game you know i was able to buy everything too quickly you know yeah and other people might have the exact opposite experience where they're like oh it's so grindy i you know all my games are getting negative reviews and i can't seem to sell that many copies and i can barely buy anything in the store those are the stuff that i don't like, I don't know. It takes dozens of hours probably of, of testing and refining just to get that stuff to feel
0: right. Yeah, that's tough. That's kind of always been one of my, like, you know, when I think about indie game sim, that's the part of the code that seems very complicated to me is, like, the scoring of games. Yeah, like, it is The very heuristics around deciding how good a game is and and stuff. And, like, it's difficult because, one, it's sort of like these arbitrary algorithms that you've coded behind the scenes. And that is there's not a whole lot of easy way to communicate that to a player, right right, like the I'm sure that you try and there's some stuff that tells you like you know uh, this is fun or that's not fun or you're in danger here or whatever. you know, I feel like those kinds of rules are very difficult to communicate, and then two, uh I feel like they're also very ripe for abuse, I mean, not that it's you know a deficiency that you've coded it in such a way, but I think that any system where there are like rules governing you know, how good something is to some subjective measure, you know, you just, sometimes yeah, you, you can just play to the rules, right? Yeah, for sure. It's like this engine doesn't actually care about blah. It only cares about X, Y, and Z. And so if you focus on X, Y, and Z, you'll always do great. Yeah. It is uh, very imperfect regarding all
1: those ways you're, that you mentioned the, you <laughs> yes. know, the the rating algorithm. I mean, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's very arbitrary. It's very kind of nebulous and there are, clues there's like a marketing analysis you can purchase that'll tell you straight up you know what to do or what not to do but you know you can't get past the fact that um all the rating algorithms are just going to be very strange and easily gamed right like there may be some people who find an exploit and just you know
0: benefit from it and i'm cool with that well yeah nice thing about single player games for us too is that we don't really have to worry about game balance right You (laughs) know, exactly (laughs) i mean as much we'd have to worry about it but like you know it's not like (laughs) <laughs> you know, a PvP game or something where you just can't pick a certain hero or something because they're too underpowered.
1: Yeah, the bad parts of the game should just not affect other people, fortunately. Like, the, the imbalance won't be, like, catastrophically bad.
0: Right. It's like, <laughs> uh, you know, imagine, like, an achievement in Indie Game Sim, or, or even a Wizard's Lizard Soul Thief, where it's like, you know, beat the game with the crappiest character, the chicken, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in Indie Game Sim, it could be like, you know, beat the game using, like, the worst tools possible and uh you know that could be like a a challenge to some people whereas you know if it were like <laughs> win 10 ranked matches is murky and hot <laughs> you'd be like no this is terrible wow
1: that sounds rotten i don't want to do that yes i don't actually play hero league like, do people pick murky
0: no i wouldn't think so uh no only <laughs> as a no only, only as a troll pick probably Oh, that's always fun. Uh, I think he actually, like, um, the the meta of the game has changed. He used to be better, um, but Murky only really shines in long, drawn-out games. Yeah, true. And so uh, I think that because the meta has shifted more towards, like, short burst style. Stunning play. and bursty damage. Yeah, and just, like, blowing somebody up. That, like, you know, his value isn't as good.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, do you want to get to the music question?
0: Let's do it.
1: Let's do it. Okay, so it boils down to how much does in-game music affect a game's success? Because some games have amazing music. Some games might not as much. Some gamers love the music and obsess over the music and buy the soundtrack. Other gamers don't care. They mute it immediately and listen to silence, or they put on their
0: own music. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really tough question to answer because it kind of... You know, already talked about the fact that there are diversity of opinions here, right? Like some people just can't stand repetitive video game music, right <laughs> yeah. they need their own track, and you know some people are like super into chip tunes or whatever you know I mean not that it has to be chip tunes right, but I think that as a broad categorization, a lot of uh music and games can be repetitive, yeah, um, I definitely agree, <clears throat> even good music right like. I think that the Final Fantasy 7 battle theme is great, but when you've heard it, you know, but no, 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 twenty thousand times or whatever, <laughs> twenty thousand more. But uh I think it's it's still important, right? Like, I think it, it helps set the mood, right? Like, no matter what, you need. I think, to have music, even if it's music that someone might get tired of, because I think it helps set the mood, right? And it's like, it gives you that feedback and helps you get immersed in the world. Yeah. And I think it says something that, like, you know, I think more people replace the music than just turn it off completely, right? I think so, too. And it's like, at that point, they're making the decision that they want their own mood to this game, and that's okay, but I still think that it says that having mood-enhancing audio stuff is important. Yeah. Like, have you ever tried to play a game on complete silent?
1: Mm, with no sound effects even?
0: With no nothing. No audio whatsoever. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. Nah. And then even try playing with just sound effects. It's better. It's certainly like 100% more playable with just sound effects. Right. But it does kind of miss that ambiance, right? yeah i think so like you don't get that feeling of tension necessarily or serenity or whatever like the mood of the game world that point is trying to convey right right um you know like when you're tending your garden in stardew valley like i would hope that there's this really kind of relaxing kind of calm music you know minecraft has that going on yeah yeah um versus like you know when there's danger or something you kind of get these upbeat you know like when you go into battle in final fantasy it's like you know right away it's just bam 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 you know like get your yeah. blood flowing like it's time to kill things
1: man i'll tell you those final fantasy games and i'm talking about pretty much all of them i think it says a lot about the music that you can play those games for hundreds of hours and like to me anyway the music holds up yeah. you know like not once do you ever hear from my experience that bum, 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 the victory. Yeah. At the end of any Final Fantasy battle, I'm always happy to hear that tune. I'm never like, oh, here we go with this stupid <laughs> victory. Yes. <laughs> so
0: I love it. It's so good. In some ways it's sort of a reward too, right? It is, yeah, yeah. It's like the uh, you know, it signals to your brain that like, hey, you did a good job. The game is rewarding you. And it goes along with like, oh, you got these items and you got this much money and your characters gain these levels. You know, I feel like there's a whole like, music is just like one of those pieces that affects the entire feel of a game. And I think it's it's just important, you know? So I mentioned
1: Arcana very briefly earlier when I was talking about my, I guess, old love at this point of uh, first person dungeon crawlers. And Arcana had a longer life than it should have, in my experience, because I find I found out about a sound test. And it's this hidden thing. I maybe my muscle memory is still there, but I couldn't tell you what the code is. But on the title screen of Arcana for Super Nintendo, you put in some code. It's not Konami, it's something else. And the sound uh what do you call it? Sound test pops up. And like the first maybe 51 I think sound effects it was. Uh <laughs> the first like 51 entries are all sound effects. And then you get to song fifty two and you can listen to the whole soundtrack from there. Mm. And this is a game where I would just play it sometimes and let it sit there so I could listen to the music on repeat. Nice. That's how much I enjoyed the music. And, you know, I mean, I'm still talking about it today. That game is probably 20 plus years old at this point, you know? And not to say that, the game itself isn't fun and cool and lots of neat things about it, but the music is definitely a factor that's got me still talking about it. And um, it's not an uncommon thing too. I, I will send people the music sometimes just because I think it's so good or you know specific to a certain context or whatnot.
0: I think it's interesting because I have like, I don't get as deep into the music as you do and my appreciation for video game music yeah. isn't as big. Yeah, we differ here for sure. Um, but I think that it's important to have it at all. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I'm the kind of person that will get into a game and be like, oh man, I'm really digging this track. Like, this, right. is, this is great. I love the bass and the beats. Of the, <laughs> <of> the... <laughs> Are you going fishing? Yes. <laughs>
1: oh, that's yeah. hilarious. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, I really like the contrast here actually because the music might be something that I get the most excited about with the game and okay, look at the Mega Man franchise. I don't really play the Mega Man games that much. Once in a while, I might fire one up, especially like one through three, the songs though, I've been in my playlist since I was like seven yeah. and they will, n- I will never stop listening to like Mega Man one through five music my whole life. I, I adore it, you know? <laughs> and, um, I don't know i just
0: get really into the music and you just you don't care at all i like seeing that difference you know i think it's interesting though but the point i'm trying to make is that even though i don't you know quote unquote care about the music as much i <laughs> want it to be there and i need it to affect the mood of the game for me right like i've tried like when i'm playing you know world of warcraft or or hots even i tend to do this i put my sound to like five between like two and five percent for background music wow I don't put it off because I miss it when it's gone.
1: It can give you some nice
0: cues, right? Yeah, exactly. So I yeah. want the cues, um, but I want it to just be like this very subconscious like thing in the background that's just kind of like affecting my mood versus like, um, you know, really paying attention to the actual song itself. Right. Interesting. And obviously, like you know, there's not <laughs> no judgment on on either preference, but I think that even though being someone who doesn't get into the music as much, I still feel very strongly that uh, it's an important part of the overall experience.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. So one part of this actual question was, how much uh, does the in-game music affect a game's success? And I think in that wording, um, I would bring into it like the the marketing and stuff, right? Because you know so far we're mostly just talking about your enjoyment of a game, your experience of a game. But when we talk about a game being successful, that can mean how it does in a market. And I would look at stuff like Hotline Miami, which had an incredible soundtrack. I think there was over 20 songs on it. And that's one of those games where I've talked about it before. I really enjoyed it. And the sequel played the crap out of them both. And the music stayed in my playlist. It's still in my playlist to this day. And it's not going anywhere for a long time. Mm. That's an amazing game. And I really do think that one of the reasons that game did as well as it did is because it had music from a lot of relatively popular artists who could promote that and wanted people to check out the game. Cause it had their music in it, you know, and it kind of created that echo chamber. Right.
0: Yeah. I think like absent anything else, right. Like it's just another vector for your game to appeal to some people. Right. Because right. there's going to be almost no one who's like, they spent too much time on the music in this game. I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> right. <laughs> the music's too good. It's too good. I hate this game. <laughs> You know, Garbage. like, people will be like, eh, it's fine, you know? Or they'll be like, it's really, really good, and I bought it because of the music, or, you know, or or not. Like, it could be like, I didn't buy it because of the music, <laughs> but I fell in love with it, the music. Uh, that's that's one you don't really see, I feel. Buying it I've because definitely of the music?
1: Seen, well, any kind of negative comments about the music, they're so... I've seen them, even in our games, right? I've seen them, but they're so few and far between, and... You know, orders of magnitude more. I will see people appreciating the music, but the vast majority clearly don't care. They they don't even mention it. You know, right? Uh, and I would say too, we've talked before about like the default, right? Like the vast majority of your users or players or, or whatever, they're going to go with the default of whatever is set, right? And I, for most people, they're not going to touch the sound or the music, and they're just going to go,
0: you know, default settings. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think that it's one of those things where like it almost has to be there to complete the experience. Yeah. And the more time you spend on it, I think, you know, it's hard to say that it will make your game more of a success, but I think it, it can't hurt. Right. Like any, right. any area of your game that you improve the quality of is only a good thing for your game.
1: I definitely agree. Here's another take. <clears throat> so hotline Miami, I would think probably would have been a hit regardless, even if the music was just kind of like, yeah, it's fine. It didn't, heard it right yeah if it was horrible then you know i do think that really grating awful music uh let's look at the sonic spinball <laughs> some really bad uh, especially what was it the, like the setting the option screen or something it was just like it sounded like it was trying to be obnoxious the music bing, bing, bing. if i can find that i'll put a link in the show it was seriously just like screeching yeah it was awful sonic spinball Where was i going with that um undertale here's a game that was a massive hit right and i think a huge part of it like a substantial chunk of that game's success came from the music. And the reason I say that is because the visuals of the game um, are are not very strong, right? It's, you know, it's it's all pixel art and it's uh, mostly from uh, the Toby Fox dude who made it. And, you know, I think that he would probably say it's not the greatest stuff ever. You know, it gets the job done and I'm not going to knock it because it's <laughs> the game's like a hundred billion times more successful than anything I've done, right? But uh, one of the things that really... Brought people in was the fact that it's got a massive soundtrack, and the music really good you know it's like very chip tunish, it's like very it's got the classic feel really uh strong on melody, which I always like you know you can whistle along to it yeah. very diverse too there's like a as a battle song just for this one uh dog just like I think it's just one encounter probably where the song is used and um in the like material for the game, like the rapping for the game the o s t is mentioned almost inevitably you know like it's for sale on steam and it's mentioned a lot and it's like the uh ost itself has garnered reward uh awards and stuff you know uh, for example vg empire run by my buddy brett uh, i'll put a link to this in the show notes if i can find it um i think brett gave it as soundtrack of the year wow yeah and he's you know this is a guy who uh who's like he's really into it. He's got a video gaming career and a video game music podcast. So like that says
0: a lot that to him, it was the pick of the year. Um, Something I wanted to say about music and games is that I like to think about it in terms of harmony as well. You know, like Mm. we talk a lot about game design harmony and how like, you know, this aspect of your game can make this other aspect of your game better, you know, because the fact that they live in harmony together and like one kind of helps the other um right. like with a meta currency or whatever progression mechanics you might have um but i think that works for like the overall you know marketing push too right like it just gives you one more channel right if you have like the fact that we have Joshua Morse do our music it's harmonious right because he's trying to push his creative stuff and he's trying to do right. the best job he can do on his creative stuff and yeah. and so are we and so like on uh, it, it partnering with him kind of removes it from our plate. It's it's more time that we can focus on making the parts that we're good at better. It's more time that he can focus on making the parts that he's good at better. And it kind of merges both audiences in, in some ways, right? Like people that liked LDG games that maybe didn't know about Joshua Morse. Joshua Morse fans that maybe didn't know about LDG games or whatever. Right. Um and so I think that like it's just, you know, it's almost objectively better, right? To to be tapping into those communities rather than just saying well here's some open game art music that i downloaded (laughs) right i mean and if that's the way you go i'm sure that it's not going to mean that your game would not be a success but any little thing you can do right any little knob you can turn to increase the quality or get new people on board that maybe wouldn't have discovered it without this particular avenue i think is only a good thing
1: yeah i definitely agree I think it was Derek Yu was talking about um, the wrapping, I think he called it, for your game. And this is stuff like promo art, really good box cover, um, even stuff like quotes from people who've reviewed it. Anything that you have, especially these days where you're not trying to sell a box, you know? You're trying to sell like a digital download. So sometimes that might just be like a little entry on Steam, just like, hey, a little game here, right? And a little graphic. And that's sometimes all that you get. And the hope is that when you click into that, you see this world, right? You see, oh, look at all these images. Look at all these screenshots. Look at, wow, the soundtrack is separate and it's got, you know, 20 songs on it. How amazing. And look at all this great promo art, and look at all the rapping, right? It shows you that it's more than just, yeah, it's an entry in a database. it's a game. You know, it's like, no, it's not just a game. There's all this art and excitement and community and content. And oh, look at all this creativity, right? Yes. Gives people more to latch on to. And that's... The hard thing about selling digital content, right? Sometimes it's hard to find that thread to grab onto. And yeah, you give them a great soundtrack, give them great graphics, give them all these things, be more into it. So the short answer is yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Basically, it's, yeah, I think for music, it's like your bare minimum is have something that doesn't sound, like it's not grating. It doesn't sound awful. And it's like mood and genre appropriate. Like that's your default. Like that's almost mandatory. And then anything up from there is like win. Just yes. you know, positive it's
0: like icing, icing on the cake, cherry icing on top.
1: and gravy and cherry. Yeah, like the more, the more the better, pretty much.
0: All of the things that you want on top of ice cream, exactly. <laughs> like gravy. I remember uh, my wife and I were trying to come up with
1: the gross food combinations at one point, and it was kind of hard because uh, we were thinking like, oh, what about like s- steak and peanuts. Like no, like I've had steak with peanut sauce. It's pretty good, you know. Yeah. It's a surprisingly hard thing to do. We came up with a salmon pastry for breakfast. Like a <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> that sounds awful to me. That might sound good to some people though.
0: Eh, some people love like locks and like <laughs> locks and bagels. That's kind of like a salmon pastry, I guess. That's
1: that's true. It might be good. What was that on Simpson's Nuts and Gum?
0: <laughs> Together at last. <laughs> <laughs> uh anywho.
1: So I need your help. Retweet indie game sim on Twitter's. Uh, I posted a, I don't know what you call it, a Facebook post. Share it, I guess. Like it. Share it. Is that what you do on Facebook? Do the social medias. <laughs> do the social medias. Um, pre-orders. You can pre-order it now for six bucks. Uh, you can wishlist it on Steam. You can follow it on Steam. Even if I sent you a key, you can go buy another copy. You can go buy 10 copies. You can do that if you, <laughs> if you really want to. Yeah, I'll continue to talk about it and um, pimp it out. All month. That's right. Basically. I got a month to tell people about it and I'm I'm hoping I can tell two or three people. So So for the next four podcasts, guess what you're gonna <laughs> yes. hear about? Yep, you sure will. <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying this time.
0: Well, I think that's all we've got for this week. So don't forget to help out Matt. And yeah. check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost Decade Game. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Yay, I have content for the Stinger. Um, yeah. So good. <laughs> what is it? Check us out on the forum at Games.com. You already said Patreon. That's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you in a week.
0: Ship it. Oh, there we go. Hey, that's a lot better.